Welcome to See Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. Welcome to See Uncovered by Create Every Opportunity. We created CEO and devote so much time to it because we wanted to solve a very big problem the lack of financial literacy by high school students. Our mission now is to help others create every opportunity. Today we have on David Sable. David's involvement in advertising industry spans more than 40 years, where he's worked as a global chairman and CEO as YNR before co-founding Doable. He currently serves on the board of directors for UNICEF USA and the International Special Olympics, as well as the executive board of UNICEF and a board member on American Eagle Outfitters. David is an entrepreneur and motivational speaker, and we're thrilled to have him on. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So I think we should start with your background. Can you give us a little insight about who you are and what you do? Who I am? You just said it. I think my mother. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a, uh, I spend my life in marketing. That's what mm-hmm. I do. I had... At various times in my life, you, if you mm-hmm. read some of the things that I that I write and post, which you can find on LinkedIn uh, under either under my name or under Imagine, which is my newsletter, you'll see I, at various times I wanted to be different things. I thought I was going to be an archaeologist. I thought maybe I'd be a, an astronomer. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a rabbi, as my father was. I wanted to go into politics. I wanted to do a lot of things. And somehow I ended up in advertising, which maybe is an amalgam of all those things. I don't know. And I have, my journey was not linear. My journey mm-hmm. to to be CEO and chairman of one of the biggest companies in the world is very not linear. And I think it's instructive, particularly for young people, in the sense that my mentor, when I was young, taught me that never, ever, sell yourself for a corner office or for a title or for a few more dollars. Always look to see where you can add the most value and where you can learn the most. I read that you served in the IDF and thank you for your service. How did your time there shape you and who you are today? So the IDF, for those who don't know, is Israel Defense Force. Um, I was as somebody born in America. I went to Israel with my wife, who was an Israeli. I am also an Israeli now. I have dual citizenship. I think it did a lot for me. Um, I'll give you a few. And again, this is something I've written about quite a lot. In the Israeli army, there is a, a saying, hand in hand or side by side. Yad biyad or tzad bitzad. Sounds better in Hebrew. And the idea of it means that ultimately you and your mate, the person next to you, are going to be together. So you either work as a team or, God forbid, you're going to die as a team. And so it's hand in hand or side by side, meaning, you know, flat out side by side. And that's a, it's an important lesson, right? It's a hugely important lesson because you realize that it's not like being in an office where teamwork is important. And I'm a big proponent of teamwork. And I hate people who screw other people and who look for excuses to push themselves over other people. It's not life and death in an office. It's just nastiness, 
But when you're out in the battlefield, it's life and death, right? It's you have to trust the people around you. If you don't trust them, if there's not a hundred percent trust, and if you can't know that that person has your back and your front and your side and your top and whatever, you might die. It's very humbling to understand that. I think the the second thing is, and this is a story that I, I love to tell, from the minute you come in as a recruit, you're put into groups of 30. So everything is sort of groups of three. The smallest is a group of three. That's like a battle unit. And then you have groups of 30, which is a platoon. And then there's a group of 300. So it just keeps like, it just keeps going up and up and up, right? So your group of 30, your platoon, you come into the army from literally the second you come in, you don't know where you are. Your boots don't fit. You've got your head shaved, your arms hurt because you got shots on both sides. They give you a stretcher. And wherever you go, you're carrying the heaviest person in your unit on that stretcher. So the truth is, in the beginning, it's hard on that poor guy because everybody's so pissed off. They're kind of hitting him and dropping him and, and all kinds of stuff. But you never, ever let it down. And by the way, carrying a stretcher is way different than you see on TV. Because everybody's used to seeing people running sort of with the stretcher low, which is great when you're running two feet. Mm-hmm. But when you're running from a battlefield or you're out in the field, you have it on your shoulder. And it's four people. Now, you can't run. Four people can't do it. It's very hard. So what you do is you form two lines behind the stretcher and people keep moving. So the person in the back moves to the front, the person in the front moves to the back of the line. And you keep doing this, there's a rhythm to it. And ultimately, you just learn how to do it. And finally, as we got to the end of our training, we had two people up. And you sort of forget about it because that's what you do, right? So you have two people up, you're constantly moving. Your line is constantly moving, you're carrying, you're running. You've got a 40-pound pack on because you don't leave anybody. So we were out in the field. It was our last night of a big training exercise. And we happened to have been in a place that was pretty dangerous, which was part of sort of like the live training that we were going under at that point. We had two people up. We're running. We had no idea where we were. So the terrain was, it was a dark, dark night. The terrain was very tricky. It was hilly, lots of rocks, gullies. We had no idea where we were. And we're running, 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 running. And all of a sudden, we see the lights of our tents, like where we were camped. And mentally, everybody let themselves down. Right? So mentally, it was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. We've been out for three hours running. And we made it. We did it. We're here. We're home. And our lieutenant took us straight through the middle and kept going another mile. I'm telling you that guys were crying. Literally, they were sobbing. And he stopped and he said, okay, I just taught you the most important lesson I'll ever teach you. When you're sure you're done, you're not. You can give more. There's more to give. And it was an important lesson. Mm-hmm. Hugely important lesson, and one that I'll never forget. What age did you serve? I was 29. Is it something you always wanted to do? 
it was something that I always wanted to do. I grew up in a, in a household that, and I went to the kind of school that taught me that that was a good thing to do. So I don't think I would have left America just to do it. And I, but because we moved and I we were married and I had a business, we had a, we were one of the first people, my partner and I in high tech marketing in Israel back in the late seventies. It was something that had to be done. What made you want to start your first company? What made me want to start my first company was need mm-hmm. because I had I had worked for a couple of years in America. I had a start in the industry. I had worked as a copywriter from literally from when I was in high school. I was selling copy and I was pretty good at it. And when we went to Israel, I wasn't happy with what I saw. The jobs available just this is you know early on it's not like today and mm-hmm. i met somebody who is a great graphic designer and a, a strategic thinker and a big idea person and i was a big idea person a copywriter and a strategic thinker so together we had a great partnership he's still he's like my older brother is still all these years later one of my closest friends in the world and we started the company because there was a need we I wasn't ready to work for just like some local ad agency kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we started that company. So that was the first company I started. We were very successful in our time. And then I, we came back, Debbie and I came back to the U.S. for personal reasons. The next company that I started was um, together with two partners in 96. We were one of the first internet retail companies called Genesis Direct. We went boom bust as many did during that bubble period. But it was an incredible learning experience Mm -hmm. and uh, one that I would do over again in a second. When picking a partner, is there a rhyme or reason? Would you say working with friends is easier, harder than working with someone you don't know? I think it depends. It's all about trust. My two partners now are very close friends. So, but it's about trust. Everything is about trust. If you trust somebody, partnership is about trust. You have to trust your partner. Partnerships fall apart when there's no trust. Mm-hmm. The bigger the partnership contract, the thicker it is, less trust there is between the partners, I think. So I think you have to trust people. You have to believe that the people who are your partners are going to do the right thing believe in the things that you believe in and add value to what you do. And when they, when, and you don't always agree, that would be the worst thing in the world. We don't always agree at all. Like you don't want to agree. You want to add value. So it's the value that's added by being able to disagree in positive ways. I think that's really critical. So I think the mistake people make is, Oh my God, you know, we got the same ideas. We're like two peas in a pod. Like nobody needs Mm -hmm. that. Two peas in a pod, like one pea is good. I don't need two. So the question is, how do you find somebody that you trust who you can really add value with and to? Mm -hmm. From my experience, I've learned communication is the biggest thing. And telling someone your honest opinions shouldn't be a struggle. It's healthy and it really moves you forward. It does. Absolutely. What advice do you have for students who are trying to figure out their passion, let's say before going to college and just don't know what major to choose or what field to go into? 
So that's a good question. Um, it's also something I've written about. Passion is a big word, right? Mm-hmm. I think the real question you have to ask yourself is, what is it you want out of life in total? Like, what are your goals? What's the thing that you want to do? You want a family? Do you want to live in New York or Tahiti? Do you want to be able to give back a lot? Do you want to, you know, make a contribution? Like, what what are those things that you want to do? That's really critical. And I think that that people sometimes confuse their passion. Oh my God! Like, I so want to be uh, whatever. You know, I, I want to be an actor. I want to be a a sports. You know, I think three quarters of the the guys that I talk to want to be sports managers. And okay, it's great, except you're not all going to be sports managers. It's a tough row. And like, what else could you do that's similar? And what else could you study that maybe makes you, okay, you could be a sports guy, but you could be something else too. So I think that's the key. You make your passion by taking what you do and turning it into something powerful. So I always tell young people that, look, anybody can go, for example, it's great. Go to work in a, a soup kitchen. It's amazing. But no doubt you have a great talent for something. Maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a marketing person. Maybe you're a doctor. I don't know. Whatever it is that you are, somebody needs you to help them. There's an organization out there. There's an NGO, a nonprofit, somebody. So that's how you get your passion. I think that the young people who are too focused on just some passionate thing that they think they want to be and then doesn't pan out for them are the ones who kind of swirl around Mm -hmm. with no purpose. Passion should be about what you give back. Like That's where the passion is, in my view. How important is storytelling when connecting with people in the business world and outside? Life is storytelling. Human beings storytell. That's what we do. We, you know, started in caves or wherever, and it's all about storytelling. It was always about storytelling. They sat around the campfire, and before they had fire, they sat around, I don't know, whatever they sat around, (laughs) and they, people told stories, right? The earliest cave paintings, you know, the first technology, the first use of technology to tell a story, cave paintings, right? It's all about stories. Each one of those, I mean, look at it. You can still tell the story today when you look at it, right? Oh, my God, mm-hmm. there's the hunter, and the hunter's going after the the master. Da, 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 da. It's, storytelling is the key. People who don't tell stories are boring. You've worked with a ton of big brand companies over the years. Obviously, you have a lot of experience. How have you seen their marketing changed over the years? And where do you see marketing going? So I think that, you know, the marketing changes have not necessarily been for the good. I think that many of the big brands got confused between marketing and technology. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a problem because what they're doing is not marketing, they're digitaling. And they're two different things. Digital is merely a channel. It's an enablement. It's a, a something that you use, right? So it's enablement to do easier ad. I don't know, whatever it is, to to edit your videos quicker. 
to create your ads in an easier way. It's a channel by which to share whatever it is you do. So it's all about enablement. Mm -hmm. The marketers who talk about digital first, in my view, don't have a clue because everything is digital. Like, you know, what's not digital today? So digital is everything, but not everything is digital, meaning that we still have real lives. Look at Taylor Swift. Look at the sellout on her. That was her crazy. Concert, right? That's not, <laughs> that... It's got nothing to do with digital. People are going to see her live, mm-hmm. right? So sure, yeah. Oh, I could see her in the metaverse. Why, don't, why aren't I watching her avatar in the metaverse? She's not dumb. She's one of the best marketers out there. And she just released, by the way, vinyl albums. Mm-hmm. She released a whole album at a time when people are saying that that's a dead thing. Why bother? And she sold tons and tons and tons. Marketing is about people. It's whatever channels we have. Today, it's digital. 100 years ago, it was just print. 50 years ago, it was broadcast. 40 years ago, it was broadcast and cable. 100 years mm-hmm. from now, it'll be telepathy or something, I don't know, (laughs) implants. And so that's the key, right? It's about people. It's about how do you make the product interesting and tell a story around it and create it. It's Mm -hmm. not about just retargeting and retargeting the retarget and, you know, whatever. It's not. What advice do you have for young entrepreneurs or startups who are struggling to get their name out there? Have a great product and a simple story. Simplicity kills, right? Mm -hmm. You need simplicity. If it takes you too long, like if your product description is, yeah, we use data better than anybody else and consolidate it and take all the data and then make your sales better, which I hear 10 times a day, like nobody's going to understand you. You don't have a product. Tell me the story. Tell me what you do. Explain to me why it's so good. I wanted to ask you, what led you to the nonprofit sector? Passion. To give back. Plain and simple. I, it's mm-hmm. something that I was taught as a kid. That's what you have to do. And that's what I did. So I wanted to ask, and I feel like a lot of students don't know, you are on the board of numerous companies. Can you share with our students what actual board members do? Yeah, sure. So when you're on a board... It really doesn't make a difference if you're on a public board or the board of a, a nonprofit. A little different if you're on the board of a startup or something. But, but typically, you have an obligation for financial fiduciary issues, right? So you, your job is to make sure that the company adheres to the laws, to the rules, to whatever that the business is done in a sound way, that the people are the best, to work with the CEO and the top management to help them when they have issues and problems, to help them review their numbers and be there when they need you. So it's interesting work. How do you manage your time being a part of so many companies and organizations? So I get asked that question a lot. Um, So this is my view. You have to be 100% in doing whatever it is you're doing. So one of my Mm -hmm. friends calls it Sable Math. He claims that my day adds up to 300%, which could be. But the trick that I have found is that 
whatever it is you do, you have to be in it 100%. Makes no difference mm-hmm. if it's your family, if it's work, if it's play, if it's a game, whatever you do, 100% in. And so if you're 100% in the game of every moment, then yeah, it could add up to a thousand percent, but it really doesn't because it's, but it does in a sense, but it makes everything that you do full on. And I think that's the only way to work. And if you spend your life as some young people do today thinking, well, you know, I, I go only 50% of work and I want 40% home and 10% this, you get nothing done because all you're doing is worrying about your percentages. Mm-hmm. You can't work that way. I think it's foolish. Life doesn't work that way. What kind of leadership styles do you use? And in your opinion, what are important characteristics of being a leader? So there are many. Um, I've written a lot about this. Again, you can find my acronym for leadership on um, LinkedIn. But I think that really the key is humility. You have to be humble, like truly humble. There's a difference between being humble and humility. See, humble is like Uriah Heep and David Copperfield. Oh, I'm so humble, Mr. Copperfield. I'm so humble. That's like crap. It's not real. That's false modesty. Humility is different. It's just the notion that you're no better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. everybody's it's 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 understanding that you're in a position if you're in a position to lead that's an important place to be and there's an obligation and accountability that comes with it it's not a game it's not like you won the lottery that's power they're mm-hmm. saying power and leadership is totally different see i know a lot of people who have power because the system gives it to them but they're not leaders people don't follow them they more like herd people because they have big sticks and they threaten them and people are scared of them. That's not leadership. And there's plenty of people like that out there. Don't ever be that person. I completely agree. Lastly, I always ask this. If you could give a piece of advice to a teenage and college version of yourself, what would you tell him? Just follow the path. Do what you want to do. It's not straight. You can get sidetracked. But if you do get sidetracked, make sure you're sidetracked for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. But just follow the path. It's never straight. If you think it's straight, you just never get any place. Yes, I know, you know, the shortest instrument, two points, a straight line. But that's not the way to a career, in my view. That's a way to, to boredom. It's a way to not having enough in you to really give back a lot i think if you have a a focus like my again my focus was always where can i learn more where can i add more value to what i do so that i become more valuable to the people that i want to work with and help that was my only goal and so my career had all kinds of twists and turns and, and things that i did versus people that i know who just followed money or followed bigger offices or followed titles. And yeah, so they did well, many of them. But in my view, at the end of the day, what are they leaving behind? It's all about your legacy. 
Thank you, David, for coming on CEO Uncovered and learning a little bit more about yourself. Um, I'm sure our students are going to love the episode and you can find the episode on Spotify and Apple Music. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to See Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.